Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. We're continuing Dr. Newfeld's series, The Gospel Alternative to the Cultures of Men Today, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20, in a message Dr. Newfeld has entitled, The Uniqueness of Sexual Sin. A lot of us, I fear, are not getting it. I fear we're listening to the voices of the culture in which we live, rather than within the church, creating the new and unique culture of the kingdom. There is an easy and unsettled alliance with the world that threatens to undo the church. And to a large part, that's because we have not given clear and explicit teaching and discipleship around the Christian teaching regarding our bodies. And then second, we have not given a clear explanation about what's wrong with sexual sin. Several recent studies have indicated brain changes of people who view pornography, affecting everything from the ability of people to feel motivated or rewarded for their work to sexual dysfunction, and that it actually shrinks the brain. It turns out that one of the reasons God places a value on sexual fidelity is that God who designed us is also the God who knows what activity brings wreckage to his design. You know, if you have a laptop computer, imagine you frequently threw it into the sink with water to wash and clean it. Then to your amazement found it didn't function properly. That would be because the designer did not make it for that kind of treatment. Well, I think you get the point. Now, look, I know that all sin is sin, but that does not mean that the effect of every sin is the same. The passage we will read will teach us that there is something unique about sexual sin so that it is different from all other sins. Let's go to our text. Today we're reading from 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So let's begin with a basic premise found in this text. As believers, our bodies are members of Christ. For Christians, this is a very basic theology of the body. Now, at the outset, for some of us, that does sound strange, but we need to hear this. Look again at the beginning of verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? How many have repeated the words at communion? This bread is my body. Well, in some mystical and sacred sense, we say this of our own body. This body of mine is a member of Christ's body. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that many of us are familiar with the saying that I am a member of Christ's body, that is the church. By that, we mean the church is the body of Christ and that each of us individually as believers are a part of a local church. And from that, we're instructed to use whatever gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us to do what Christ would do if he were here on earth bodily. But look again at verse 15. My physical body is a member not just of the church, but of Christ himself. Think about it. 
One of the popular sayings in our day is this, you know, it's my body, and therefore I can do with it what I want, and therefore I can take care of it as I see fit, and therefore whatever I choose to use my body for, well, that's my business and mine alone. Now, I am aware that this idea pervades our culture. And so whether it's any sexual expression or or the right to have an abortion or the right to change my gender or the right to consume illicit drugs or alcohol that might bring harm to my body, in the end, it's still my body and no one but no one has the right over my body but me. But the minute you come to Christ, everything changes. Go ahead to verses 19a. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? See, when you come to Christ, your body became a sacred temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wonder what the Corinthians must have thought when Paul said this. Perhaps some of them thought of the many temples that that filled the city of Corinth, each one claiming to house a so-called sacred deity. But now, says Paul, not that, but you. And I might want, at this moment, to interject a few words to contemporary Christians. For years, it has become quite common for Christians to refer to church buildings in which we worship as God's house. See, I'm reminded years ago, two men from another religion came to see me in my office, and they asked me if I could show them where the God house was. I knew what they were asking, so I took them into our sanctuary, our meeting place for worship. And one of the men said, so this is where the God house is. And I said, no, this is definitely not the God house. And then I told them that the Bible said that anyone who is yielded to Christ, that their body becomes a God house. See, on the one hand, if you think about your body, you know, it's an amazing thing. David said that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. The the design of your body with its muscles and nerves and organs, its ability to perform tasks, its ability to heal itself. I mean, the human body is fascinating. I've spoken to medical doctors who have told me that it's this mystery of the human body that drove them into medicine in the first place. But now add the dimension that in some way, God himself by his spirit enters into the human body at conversion, and he works through our own human bodies to glorify himself. I remember the first time I laid hands on someone, I offered a prayer of healing, and amazingly, God did heal them. And how fascinated I was that at the laying on of my hands, God would work in these hands. I don't know if they've ever seemed like normal hands again. They were hands infused by the hands of God. And that, in a nutshell, is the Christian theology of the body. The body is not the prison house of the soul or just the working clothes. No, no, the body is much more. God displays his holiness through human bodies of those who have been redeemed by him and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in some mysterious fashion, our bodies are members of Christ. Every once in a while, I'll meet a Christian who, for all manner of reasons, has a poor body image. Now, I suspect that's because, you know, they think they're not attractive enough or or they don't have the proper dimensions for the ideal body, so forth. Now, we think this way because whether we want to believe it or not, we have believed the philosophies of our culture rather than the teaching of Scripture. Now, having made the point in the latter half of verse 15, Paul tells us where he's leading this discussion of, of the body of believers. He says, shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Now, behind that statement is an assumption that's found in the rest of our Bibles, and it must not be missed. 
sexual expression is a one-flesh experience. You see, here it might be tempting to simply focus on the fact that that we shouldn't mess around with a prostitute, or for that matter, one shouldn't be involved sexually with anyone who's not your spouse. But if that's all you see in this passage, that warning against sexual immorality, if that's all you see, you will miss something that Paul is trying to communicate about the very act of sex. Let me take you back to God's design in sex. Remember what God did at creation? He created Adam and and, and gave him a task of naming the animals, understanding what each animal was, its function, its uniqueness. And in the process, Adam learns that there is no place in all the world in which he can find intimacy and, and fellowship and trust. And more, he can't find a helper, someone who will help him fulfill his own function before God. It's a profound moment for Adam when he discovers that there is something he was created for and something that he does not yet possess. And so God causes him to fall into a deep sleep, and and God removes his rib, and from that rib, he creates a woman. And when Adam saw her, he has an insight. This at last, he says, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then, as he has been naming all the animals, and as he's been understanding their function, he then names her. He calls her woman. For she was taken out of him, and she alone has a unique relationship with him. She is his complement. And then the Bible adds something. Therefore, it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. And that term, one flesh, doesn't just mean sex, although it does mean that. But it means that Adam has understood that he has a sacred mission from God and that he can't do it alone, and that this is his helper. Only in relationship with her can they fill the earth with offspring, but also only in relationship with her can he understand relationship and intimacy and love and sacrifice and caring. His body has a complement, and that complement is the woman's body with whom he will share the experience of one flesh. I love these words of Dr. Neufeld. The body is not the prison house of the soul or just the working clothes. No, the body is much more. God displays his holiness through the human bodies of those who have been redeemed by him and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In some mysterious fashion, our bodies are members of Christ. Your body is in fact the house of God. More just in a moment. James wrote to say, Today's message of born again is exactly the reason Back to the Bible Canada has become my go-to resource for biblical teaching. The bold truth Dr. Neufeld presented today was entirely refreshing. I appreciate the truth-based teaching so much that I'll be increasing my monthly donation to Back to the Bible Canada. It really has become such a blessing to me and to my spiritual growth. Keep up the good work, Dr. Neufeld. Please never let the opinions of man influence your teaching about God. Thanks, James. Your words of encouragement mean so much. And we love to hear how this or any of our ministries of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your journey with Jesus. And if you're considering offering a gift or becoming a monthly partner like James, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Or send us a note at info at backtothebible.ca. 
In 1 Corinthians 6.16, the Apostle Paul has said that the one who is joined together with a prostitute becomes one flesh with her. The sexual act can never be just sex. God has made us in such a way that the sexual act would be an expression of a lifetime of intimacy, love, sacrifice, caring, and through this to produce the next generation. This is how the book of Genesis describes the creation of Adam and Eve. And from their time on, each successive couple would be called upon to leave their attachment to mother and father and become one flesh, one man with his complement, one woman sharing flesh together. Now, of course, in the case of Adam, he was to understand that he could not fulfill his life's calling alone. Together, he and his wife were to fulfill God's call together. And out of their joint understanding of God's call on their lives comes the sexual encounter that their bodies in relation to each other fulfill God's call for offspring and intimacy. See, God's call is not just spiritual, it's profoundly physical. That's what sex is. It's a part of the physical expression of God's design for the man and the woman. In sex, they serve each other. They they sacrifice themselves for each other and their children, and they express intimacy, an intimacy that is both physical and spiritual. And that, my Christian friend, is the only reason why God made sex. And it is this and this expression of sex that is the only healthy expression of sex there can be. And here's what happens when sex happens. You may not know it, but each sex act is an expression of what I've just described. It gives the same one flesh experience. It was C.S. Lewis who said that each time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established between them, and that bond is unbreakable. You know, I once heard Pastor Jack Hayford describe it in this way. He said that in the 1960s, people used to talk about getting a piece, meaning a piece of sex. It was a, a euphemism for having sex. I want to get a piece. That's, that's what people said. Hayford said these were prophetic words. They did get a piece of the other, and they did live a piece of themselves, and they were never whole again. Their sexuality was broken into pieces, and no whole bond could be reestablished. And this is why Christian people who have the revelation of God, the creator of our bodies, and who know that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, recognize what this aspect of their physicality was created for. They know that the one flesh experience is a profoundly lasting and spiritual experience, but Paul's still not done. Let's go to verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, at first that sounds, well, almost like the language of the Temple of Diana and the belief that the sexual act with a sacred prostitute was a spiritual act. But think about what Paul actually teaches about this. It was in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. See, after expressing the unique roles that husbands and wives play in the act of marriage, Paul sums up by saying that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, and that he who loves his wife loves himself. And then he speaks about the Genesis account of a man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife, and the two becoming one flesh. And then Paul ends with the words, and I'm reading verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. In other words, the marriage relationship and the sexual one in it is a role play of the kind of relationship that we share in our union with Christ. 
Now, from that, Paul helps us to see that sexual expression is always either a sacred act or a profoundly profane and ugly act. Did you notice that I used the word always? It's always one or the other. It's never just sex. It's, it's never just a physical thing. That doesn't exist. Sex is always sacred or it's profane. It's always an act that's an expression of our worship to God as committed lifelong celebration of intimacy is, or it's a breaking of our personality and a desecrating of that which is holy. And therefore, to verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, please notice in Paul's usage, the word sexual immorality refers to any sex act outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage act for life. Flee from anything that is not that, he says. Now, here's the key in the passage. There is something unique about sexual sin. How many of you have heard the expression, Hey, all sin is just sin. It it doesn't matter if you're stealing or lying or gossiping or fornicating or hating your brother in your heart. It's all just sin. And let me respond to that. See, I find that statement maddening because it's based on a half-truth. Imagine you were to go to your doctor and he were to say, you have a disease, and you said, well, what kind of a disease do I have? And he answers, well, it doesn't really matter because all disease is just disease. Now, you might say, well, doctor, where in the world did you get your medical degree? Yeah, all disease is disease, but the cause and the effect of each disease is unique and different. See, sexual sin is unique because it's a sin against your body, the temple of the Spirit. That's what Paul says in verse 19. And then he adds what we already know. You are not your own. That's neither you or your body belong to you. And then finally, he adds something unique to the believer. Verse 20. You were bought with a price. Even your body was purchased by the dying body of Jesus. And what do we make of that? We're to use our bodies in ways that glorify Christ. And this, then, is where the theme of freedom and the theme of body and of sex come together. It is possible to become mastered by sex in its very many different forms. And so this body becomes not the home of holiness, but a filthy pigsty. The body becomes a place of condemnation. We are disgusted by it. And because we are mastered by sexual sin, because sex and the flesh combine, we are dominated by impurity. So how do we get free? Now, I don't know how often I've spoken to someone dominated by some form of sexual expression who is definitely not free. They hear that Christ has come to set them free, but they're in bondage and they ask, how do I get free? So let me try to help. First, understand what your body is for. It's for Christ, for his glory. It's been purchased by him so that your body is not your own. And second, from the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That is, remove all things that cause you to sin. So let's say that you have an internet in your house and you find yourself drawn to pornography. Well, perhaps you're so weak, and and so what needs to be done? Well, you need to cancel your home internet. Now, perhaps you're on a public beach because you're drawn to the meat market that lies baking in the sand. Well, here's a word to you. Never go to the beach. Perhaps you can't be with your girlfriend past 8 o'clock in the evening. Then wish her goodnight at 7.30 to the glory of God and go home. 
Perhaps you can never go out for lunch with a female colleague alone. Whatever causes you to sin, you cut that off. Whatever it is that you must do, we must do it for the glory of God and for our long-term eternal good. Settle the matter in your own mind. If you are today in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, do whatever needs doing to cut that relationship off, for your eternity depends on what you do now. Now, I end with a story from the life of one of the great Christians in history, and his name was Augustine. Before his conversion, Augustine had led a very sexually immoral life, but by the mercy of God, he was profoundly saved. Well, one day, as Augustine was walking along a street, a woman from the other side of the street called out to him. She was a woman from his past, a woman with whom he had had a torrid affair. And on that day, as she saw her old flame, she called out to him. But he didn't look up. He only hurried on. And then she called, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And he called back, ah, but it is not I, and hurried on down the street. Indeed. See, once you're redeemed, it's no longer the old man that lives. It is no longer you, but it is Christ that lives in you. Glorify God in your body. And this is exceedingly good news. Know that our bodies were created for him. And if today you're messed up, know this. If you confess your sins and truly turn from them and come to Christ with no excuses, but that he would heal you, you will be made whole. Simply pray, Lord, have mercy upon me, O Lord, a sinner. There is no sin wherein Christ's grace is not greater. You go to him, fly to him, plead your case for him, and listen as he answers. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, uh, we all recognize the pressures of this area of our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the wisdom that we need to listen to your voice, to see things as you see them. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, give freedom to your children in Jesus' name. John, thanks so much for presenting this message to us today. Such an important message for all of us to seek purity in all of our relationships. Remember to join us again tomorrow for a continuation of the series, The Gospel Alternative to the Cultures of Men, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Our friend and monthly partner, Ellen, wrote us this note. The Bible teaching I received from Back to the Bible is of an outstanding caliber, and Dr. John Newfeld's delivery of the content is thoughtful, honest, and clear. I'm so happy that the program is available to me daily in my home and to others across Canada. I want it to continue, and that's why I chose to become a monthly partner. Ellen, among hundreds of others, have chosen to join our Partner to Tell monthly partnership program. Their gifts every month have become the backbone to this and all of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. If you value the teaching of Dr. Neufeld, the encouragement from Laugh Again, or the importance of in doubt speaking into the lives of young people, would you join this important group today? Become a Back to the Bible Canada Partner to Tell monthly partner by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.